is good, my black kings and my black queens. Today is February 14th, and happy Valentine's Day. Um, (laughs) If you have a significant other, partner, lover, then um, I hope you guys enjoy today's day of love. And uh, really, every day, every day should be Valentine's Day. But you know, especially on the designated Valentine's Day, I hope you show each other some immense amount of love. And even if you don't have a partner, lover, significant other, then uh, you still got yourself, and you should love yourself. And you are your own Valentine. So. If you're single, take yourself out. You know what I'm saying? Treat yourself to a nice meal, a nice lunch, or a nice dinner. Buy yourself some some chocolate or some ice cream or something. Some wine. <laughs> but anyway, um, welcome back to another episode of All Black Everything. I am your host, Ken, with how many ends? Two of them things. And uh, today... We shall be talking about apartheid. Yes, yes, yes. Apartheid in South Africa. Uh, We're going to look at what it is, like where the word comes from, what it means. Excuse me. How did apartheid and how did they reach that point of apartheid in South Africa? And then some um, uh, important people. In regards to uh, apartheid. So, let's... uh, Oh, and then another thing. As you may have noticed, the episodes have gotten a little bit shorter. And that's just because I think I'm I'm finally catching my groove, so to speak. And, you know, I'm finding finding that, uh, that pocket as far as getting the content out. In a uh, digestible yet impactful way. You know what I mean? So, apartheid is an Afrikaans word that means separation. It is the name given to the particular racial social ideology developed in South Africa during the 20th century. At its core, apartheid was all about racial segregation. It led to the political and economic discrimination which separated black or Bantu, colored or mixed race, um, Indian and white South Africans. Racial segregation in South America began after the Boer War and really came into being in the early 1900s. When the Union of South Africa was formed in 1910 under British control, The Europeans in South Africa shaped the political structure of the new nation. Acts of discrimination were implemented from the very beginning. It was not until the elections of 1948 that the word apartheid became common in South African politics. Through all of this, the white minority put various restrictions on the black majority. Eventually, the segregation affected colored and Indian citizens as well. Over time... Apartheid was divided into petty and grand apartheid. Petty apartheid referred to the visible segregation in South Africa, 
while grand apartheid was used to describe the loss of political and land rights of black South Africans. Now, isn't that interesting how how over here in the US the we had you know we got uh I mean it's very still prevalent now it's just it's just a little bit more discreet but uh you know back back during the early 1900s and whatnot there was you know all time highs of, of discrimination racism segregation but it was because you know the 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 white people were the majority there was a white majority and a black minority right which is very much so still today but it's interesting to see how in south africa it was flipped the 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 ratio was flipped and it was a white minority but a black majority however it's it's still on parallel with what was going on in the US as far as the whites controlling everything and dividing everything and you know you know what i mean so it it's kind of strange to see how how over here you know it's a black minority white majority so it it makes sense that these people we're trying to that the whites were trying to control everything, but over there it's like the black are the majority. So why is there why why isn't it flip flop? Why isn't it turned? Why isn't the U.S.'s predicament flipped on its head in South Africa with black people being the majority and the whites being the major minority? You know what I mean? Um, so, before its end in 1994 with the election of the great Nelson Mandela, the years of apartheid were filled with many struggles and brutality. A few events hold great significance and are considered turning points in the development of the fall of apartheid. What came to be known as past laws restricted the movement of Africans and required them to carry a reference book. This held identification papers as well as permissions to be in certain regions. By the 1950s, the restriction became so great that every black South African was required to carry one. In 1956, over 20,000 women of all races marched in protest. This was a time of passive protest, but that was soon changed. Um, before I go on, this reminds me of this movie that I watched uh, uh, a long time ago, around when it first came out, but... I actually just watched it this past weekend too. Um, is what happened to Monday on Netflix, and essentially is is based in the future. If you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix, it's based in the future, and you know it's like under a, a one one child dictatorship, one child regime type of thing. And uh, anyway, n- none of that. But it says here how the the past laws restricted the movement of Africans and required them to carry a reference book, which held identification papers as well as permissions to be in certain regions. So in this movie, everybody has this wristband. And so when you go into certain places, you have these security guard checkpoints and they scan your bracelet 
and it's essentially the same thing because after they scan your brain your your bracelet all your information pops up like your identity who you are your name a picture of you uh where you live and all that and so it's for me that's that just kind of reminded me of that how these people have to walk around with identification papers just to go somewhere rather than being able to, you know, move freely as they should be able to. Um, the Sharpeville Massacre on March 21st, 1960, would provide a turning point in the struggle against apartheid. South African police killed 69 black South Africans and injured at least another 180 demonstrators who were protesting the past laws. This event earned the opprobrium, there we go, opprobrium of many world leaders and directly inspired the start of armed resistance throughout South Africa. Anti-apartheid groups, including the African National Congress and Pan-African Congress, had been forming demonstrations. What was meant to be peaceful protests in Sharpeville quickly turned deadly when police fired into the crowd. With over 180 black Africans injured and 69 killed, the massacre caught the attention of the world. In addition, this marked the beginning of armed resistance in South Africa. Or when I see that saying that it's armed resistance, it uh, reminds me of like um, the Black Panthers, essentially. And it really is, is, is among the same lines. You know, people getting protesting peacefully. Uh, getting beat, getting wrongfully convicted, wrongfully accused, racially profiled, racially discriminated against, and, you know, they, they just hit that turning point where it's like, enough is enough, it's time to, to, to do something different it's time to be more radical it's time to be it's basically it's time it's time to to step up to their level you know get on their level and and match match their energy basically you know they taking up arms against us they they injuring 180 of us they killing 69 of us we ain't do nothing but peacefully protest we ain't trying to hurt nobody. We're just trying to bring recognition to a problem, to a dilemma that we face constantly every day. And we see no rectification in the future or in the near future. And so, since you feel that it's necessary to take such action against us, well, with every action, there's a reaction, you know? And so that was their reaction to become an armed resistance. Many people fought against apartheid over the decades, and this era produced a number of notable figures. If Among them, the obvious Nelson Mandela is probably the most recognized. After his imprisonment, he will become the first democratically elected president by every, ci by every citizen, black and white, of South Africa. Now... If you don't know Nelson Mandela, then I would highly encourage you to do some research. But there, I will conduct an episode on 
the legacy, life and legacy of the great Nelson Mandela. But, um, I mean, you know, Nelson Mandela, yes, he's the most recognized, but he's, he's not the only entity that apartheid produced. You know, there's a lot of other great people, other great figures that put their all into they put their all into, you know, the fight against apartheid. It just so happens that Nelson Mandela just happens to be the most prominent one, you know, with his imprisonment and such and then how it says here being the first democratically elected president by every citizen, black and white of South America. I mean, South Africa. I said South America. Um, other notable names include early ANC members, excuse me, such as Chief Albert Luthuli and Walter Susulu. Luthuli was a leader in the nonviolent pass loss protest and the first African to win the Nobel Peace Prize in 1960. Susulu was a mixed race South African who worked alongside Mandela through many key events. See, like, like I just said, you know, there's a lot of people who contributed much to the fight against apartheid, not just Nelson Mandela. He just happens to be the most prominent for good reasons, obviously. Steve Biko was a leader, or Biko, <clears throat> was a leader of the country's black consciousness movement. He was considered a martyr to many in the anti-apartheid fight after his 1977 death in a Pretoria prison cell. Some leaders also found themselves leaning toward communism amidst South Africa's struggle. Among them was Chris Haney who would lead the South African Communist Party and was instrumental in ending apartheid before his assassination in 1993. During the 1970s, Lithuanian-born Joe Slovo would become a founding member of an armed wing of the ANC. By the 80s, he would too be instrumental in the Communist Party. Like I said, that we just we just mentioned other than Nelson Mandela, we mentioned one, two, three, four, five. Five great people who were very instrumental, key individuals to the fight against apartheid. Now, segregation and racial hatred have been witnessed in many countries throughout the world in various ways. What makes South Africa's apartheid era unique is the systematic way in which the National Party formalized it through the law. Over the decades, many laws were enacted to define the races and restrict the daily lives and rights of non-white South Africans. For instance, one of the first laws was the Prohibition of Mixed Marriages Act of 1949, which was meant to protect the purity of the white race. Other laws would soon follow. The Population Registration Act Number 30 was among the first to clearly define race. It registered people based on their identity in one of the designated racial groups. That same year, the Group Errors Act Number 41 aimed to separate the races into different residential areas. The past laws that had previously only affected black men were extended to all black people in 1952. There were also a number of laws restricting the right to vote and own property. 
It was not until the 1986 Identification Act that many of these laws began to be repealed. That year also saw the passage of the Restoration of South African Citizenship Act, which saw the black population finally regain their rights as full citizens. Like I said, it's, to me, the fact that it was flipped on the on his head, the, well, the fact that it wasn't flipped on his head was interesting. You would think that the majority would rule over the minority, but in this case, somehow the minority made their presence felt and and took over. The minority took over the majority and had the majority under its grip, under its uh, under its heel. And it says um, right here, which was meant to protect the purity of the white race. Now, let me speak on this a little bit. And um, one thing that has contributed, as though I feel, to the brainwashing of our people and uh, Cassius Clay, or better known as Muhammad Ali, was one individual that touched on this. And it is that much of what is associated with black the word black, the color black is negative. You know, we identify as uh, most most people, most individuals who are of African-American descent identify as African-American or otherwise known as black, right? But then you look at society and you think about things that are black and how negative they are. I mean, a black cat. When when someone says that you see a black cat, it means that you're about to have bad luck. Um, like like Muhammad Ali said, you know, when you, you when you have information that you can use to hurt somebody or to put somebody in a, a in a disadvantage or indebted to you, or you have information on somebody or someone that you can use to manipulate them. That's called black male. You know? And so, you know, it's, 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 it's many, more, many, many, many more examples. Uh, well, for, like, for, anything, for anything white, it's pure, you know? If you get some white snow, oh, snow. It's going to be a white Christmas. Why, is, why does white have to be associated with Christmas? I get it because it's the snow, but would there be a problem if there was black snow? Would it be a problem if there was black snow and then we referred to Christmas as black Christmas? Or would black snow mean something ominous? Would it mean something dangerous? Would it, would it be a bad thing? What if it's just... What if we get black snow one year and it just so happens to be a phenomenon? You know, uh, just a, a a unique and unprecedented result of of science. You know, why does it have to? Why does white and and black have to mean positive and and negative, respectfully? You know, when when you look at all these religious pictures and. Like you look at these, uh, like the angels and these depiction of Jesus and all these biblical people and nobody has any color. 
Everybody's white. All the angels are white. This is one thing that it disturbs me so, so bad. I've seen it twice. It has the, the um, what is it, the archangel, Michael, who's like, who's like the greatest warrior or like the, the greatest fighter among the angels, right? And there's this like this figurine, this statue of him, and he's like stepping on this demon, right? But the demon is is brown. The demon, like the, I've, if I can find a picture of it, then I I would probably post it on the social media. Then, but it's this figurine, and it's got a demon, and it's got the archangel Michael. And the the angel is white. The angel Michael is white, and the demon is it's literally the color brown. You know it's. A lot of these shows and whatnot, they depict demons as like red or like like black, like the actual color black. But no, this demon that he was stepping on was brown. The color, like if you reach into your crayon box and you search for the color brown and you find it and you pull it out, that's the color of the demon. It was brown. And Michael could have been, couldn't have been any whiter in this, this little statue, this little figurine. And he was stepping on him. And to me, some people might look at that and, and, you know, some people might think, oh, you just, you're reading into it too much or it just doesn't mean anything. It's just the colors they chose. But that's, that's what they want you to think. That's how brainwashed we've become to think when we see something. That could be a representation of the current climate. We chalk it up as, oh, it's not serious. Oh, they didn't mean to do it. Or that wasn't intentional. Or, you know, is don't read into it. Too. No, read into it. What do you mean don't read into it? No, read into it. There's a significance behind it. And just like with all these laws, how they were so bold and and literally these were laws that said you can't do this, you can't be that much of what the laws that we had. But they the thing is with them, you know, Nelson Mandela came through and, uh, you know, all these laws were repealed versus our laws and bills simply got rewritten for example the the 13th amendment you know i did i did a little research one time and you know i think i think white people as far as the population white people make up like 33% 34% of the us population and black people make up um 12% of the us population we we literally are like one of the last percents. Like it goes like I think Hispanics, Hispanics and Latinos have a higher percentage within the U.S. population. I think I think Hispanics and Latinos make up sixteen, sixteen or seventeen percent of the U.S. population. While black people, African-American, people identify as black or African-American make up 
12%. Yet if you look at the U.S. prison system, white people make up about the same, about 30-something percent. And then right under that is black people at like 20-something percent. I can't remember. I did this like a, like a year ago. I did these numbers. But it's just crazy to me how we make up nearly the bottom half, not even the bottom half, the a 32nd. That's a bit of an exaggeration, but still the 30, a 32nd of the U.S. population. But we damn near share on par the percentage of white people that are incarcerated. And if you don't know about the 13th Amendment, please read it and watch the show on Netflix called The 13th Amendment. And then uh, once you do that, once you educate yourself on the 13th Amendment, what it says, um, and then you watch that show, continue to do a little bit of research and come up with your numbers as far as the U.S. population and then the U.S. incarceration rate by race and tell me what you find. And, you know, this, this is all related. This apartheid, and then if you go back to U.S. history and you look at segregation, racism, slavery, it's all connected because it's all the same instance. There's just different pieces and parts to it, but it's all of the same machine. It's different gears of the same cog, you know, of the same machine, I mean. And yet... A lot of us, like I said, there's many things that have matriculated down, permeated through time to this point, to this day. But we're so brainwashed that we we don't open our eyes and we don't see it and we don't think for ourselves. Anyway, I got on a bit of a tangent, but that is all for today's episode. Like I said, these episodes are getting shorter because I'm, I'm finding my pocket, getting into my groove. And really cranking out impactful and digestible content. Um, like I said, I've been trying to get better and better with every episode. And I hope that I have done so. I myself believe that I've I've gotten significantly better since the first episode that I dropped. At the, uh, well, since the intro. Since the intro on January 31st. I feel like I've gotten progressively better throughout these past couple of weeks. But anyway... Once again, happy Valentine's Day, uh, whether you have a lover, significant other, or not. Still, enjoy today. Uh, if you do, make it about the other person. Each of you, make it about each other. And if you don't, make it about yourself. The best type of love is self-love. So with that being said... Please send all your comments, questions, and concerns to the All Black Everything email. Follow the All Black Everything Instagram and share this, please, with your friends, your mother, brother, sister, cousin, your uncle, your grandparents, your neighbor's dog, your daughter's fish, your son's hamster, and most importantly, that uncle. Not that uncle, but that one uncle. Grab him and tell his wife to come here because that's the aunt. And see, that aunt, that aunt, she was 
Three times removed, twice replaced, added, subtracted, but never divided. You already know the rest, so I'm not even going to say it. Black peace, black love, black soul. I'm out, man.